Well, a lot of times marketers forget about the consumer. You know, they they know them. They know they have the metrics around them. They have the research around them, and but they forget to put themselves in the consumer's mind. People get kind of caught up in, you know, sometimes what's clever, or what's creative, what's you know funny. Or I see campaigns, and I think, oh, okay, they didn't they didn't take the consumer into account. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there, and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, I cannot believe that it is spring and I have an amazing guest. It is my old friend, David Miller, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. But before before we get to David, let's do a little bit of spring cleaning because we've got to open those windows and air everything out a bit. Now that we've got more daylight and hopefully a little bit more time, it is time for you to think about your brand and make sure that it is still relevant and fresh. A lot has changed over the last few months and we want to make sure that you are still on brand. But here's the reality. I know you've been working on your brand attributes and you're really focused on your purpose and your mission. But remember this as you do some spring cleaning. Your brand is not about you. That's right. Let me say it again. Your brand is not about you. Your brand is about other people. It is about the career audience that you serve. And I'm even going to go further and say your raving fans that you super serve. Now, remember this. If you are trying to be all things to all people, you are really nothing to no one. Let me say that again. When you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're really nothing to no one. You have got to be focused. And as you look forward to this spring and you look forward to the rest of the year, I want you to start taking stock in who really matters in your career audience. Who is going to help you get to where you want to be. And of course, that's obvious. Those are people like your boss. Those are key decision makers that have the chance to hire and bring you on board to great cross-functional teams that are happening in your organization. 
But don't just think about those folks. Yes, those folks need to be your raving fans. But who are all of the other raving fans that you must be super serving over the next couple of months to make sure that they are there to advocate for you? That make sure that when you're not in the room, they are saying your name. They are touting the work experience and the impact you have brought. They are the folks recommending. They are the folks giving your proof of performance. Remember, it's not just about showing. Showing up, it's about showing up and super serving those people that matter the most. Don't just spray your brand out there. Make sure that it's targeted and focused on the people who are going to help you strategically get to that next career breakthrough. I am super thrilled about today's guest. It is David Miller, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. He is in charge of planning, crafting, and executing communications, sales, membership, licensing, and sponsorship initiatives with the ultimate goal of driving guest engagement and education to further the organization's mission of saving wildlife and advocating for a world where all life thrives. Now, prior to working at the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, David was the SVP of Marketing Communications and Partnerships at Universal Studios Hollywood, where I met him, and he's also done amazing marketing work at the Los Angeles Philharmonic, leading marketing and branding and outreach for efforts like the Hollywood Bowl and the Walt Disney Concert Hall, and was the Director of Marketing and Sales at the California Health and Longevity Institute. We'll be back with David Miller in just a few moments. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I am super thrilled for today's guest. It is David Miller, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. David, what is going on? Not much, Jason. How are you doing? I'm so excited to be part of this. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for, for coming on the show. Yeah. I want to jump right in because talk to me a little bit about the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. What is it and what should we know? Well, we changed our name. We On uh, March 3rd of 2021, we changed our name from the San Diego Zoo uh, Global, which is sort of a, was a B2B umbrella rep, you know, representing the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, which we run. And we have been doing global conservation uh, for years. And so the, the name change was really to go from a B to B to a B to C. So San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is a, is a consumer brand that we want to begin to reposition who we are and, and ultimately be known as a global conservation organization first who operates the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. But we have, at any given time, we have over 150 to 175 projects that are occurring throughout the world on six continents. So, for instance, wow. while we're working with elephants in the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park and learning about them 24-7, 365, 
We create tools and information that we then share with our partners around the world. So for instance, in Kenya, uh, we work with an organization called Reteti, where they work with orphaned elephants. And we share our knowledge of those elephants that we care for, and we learn about um, formula and, and ways to improve the lives of those uh, orphaned elephants. And we share that information, we call it our toolkit. So we create a toolkit and we work with those partners around the world who are working with those same species in the wild because we are nonprofit. So we are able to use the funds that we make from uh, visitors coming to the zoo and the safari park to then work with these partners to help fund these efforts that are, are saving uh, the animals around the world and, and protecting them and teaching teaching and training our partners. So it's really exciting. It's it's best, best job of my career, truly. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds so inspiring and it's great to hear that you've you've found a place where you can bring all of your, your expertise to do a greater good. Absolutely, you know, I, I, it's funny when I was um, interviewing for this position, I, I started to realize that my career has basically been consistent in that I've been responsible for driving visitation to destinations in Southern California. So yeah. I've two times at Universal, uh, Universal Studios in LA, worked for Four Seasons uh, in Westlake Village. I worked for the LA Philharmonic, promoting the Hollywood Bowl and the Walt Disney Concert Hall. And it's really putting butts through churn styles, butts in beds and, and you know butts in seats. So it's really given me the ability to, to know Southern California from a media landscape standpoint, to really know the ins and outs of the target audiences, to really get people to go to a place. And that's, that's really what we need first and foremost to then be able to you know, use those funds, as I mentioned, to, to work uh, on a global scale. But it was something that I realized, and it wasn't something that I had planned. You know, I, <laughs> it just, you know, I love LA and I, you know, um, started my career in LA and I, I've been lucky enough to pretty much stay in Southern California my entire career. And it's helpful to be able to know the media players and, you know, the, the partners and, and, and all of that to be able to truly develop cohesive marketing plans to, to drive consumers to Southern California. So it's been exciting. Yeah. And so David, talk to me when you look back over your career, what were, what were some of those moments when you really had a career breakthrough or, or how did you break even into the marketing field in the first place? You know, I was, a, um, I was a, a business admin major and I, I started taking advertising classes in college and, and I, I just, I loved advertising and, and, Back then, it was very much, you know, advertising. Now it's much more marketing, and it's it's you know, omni-channel, and it's it's very it's evolved. But when I started, I was exciting. It was exciting to me to be able to think about creating compelling messages to get to get consumers to do things, and I I really loved that. And I my senior year, I I, I wanted to work um, at an ad agency, intern at an ad agency, and I. I, I'm glad I did because um, I got got hired on my senior year and I only worked, I think my classes were Tuesday and Thursday, so I was able to work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday full-time. Wow. At a, at a, yeah, it was amazing. And by the end of the, 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 the year, my senior year, I actually had my own accounts that I was managing at that ad agency. And they, they told me, they said, don't tell the client that you're an intern. <laughs> 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 and... Um, so they, they hired me 
right when I graduated and I was an account coordinator and, and working on those accounts that I was managing. And, and that's where it, where it started. And it was Pizza Hut delivery and, and Yonex golf clubs and Kimlin soy sauce. And, you know, I worked on a, that's the great thing about, you know, cutting your teeth on the agency side is you really learn about your target audiences. You learn about life cycles of products. You know, when you're on the client side, which I prefer, um, the only negative to that is it's 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 one product. You know, you're working on yeah. the same product over and over. So to start, I always tell, and I've spoken to uh, students at various colleges, and I say, if you're in market, interested in marketing, I'd recommend trying to get on the agency side first because you it's hard to go the other way. Most most agencies won't hire client side they they tend to you know it's hard to go that way but it's very easy to go from the agency side to the client side so recommend starting because in the morning you're working with you know kids you know eight plus as the target in the afternoon you're working you know working on adults you know 25 54 with kids you know and every day it's different every every client has different needs and so you really learn, you really learn about targeting, you learn about uh, creative, you learn about media. And so I, I, I love that. I, I learned a lot. And, and immediately after about, I think it was about three years on the agency uh, side, I, I got a job at Universal, actually the first time that I was at Universal. And it was a new position, which I also, when I speak to, to students, I say, if you can get a position that's a new position, take it because you make it your own and you don't have, you don't have barriers where if you, you know, if you're backfilled and someone was in the role before you, you know, people say, well, Joe never did that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> where, but if it's a new position, you say, well, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this and, and no one knows what the position was or should be. So you can really make it your own and build it as, as, as big as you can handle yeah. And what was that role and how did you make it your own, David? Uh, a friend of mine was actually interviewing for the role. It was like assistant advertising manager at Universal. And I was working on the agency side and I was dying as he was describing this position that he was interviewing for. And I was so jealous. I wanted to try to talk him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Great friend thought, you are. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And I said, oh, I said, this just sounds amazing. And he a couple of weeks later, he called me and he said, you know, I ended up, I, I decided to take this job up in Seattle. It's uh, like um, some like fast food chain. And I said, give them my name. Tell them, give them, <laughs> give them my name. And the good news is that he had kind of strung them along for so long, the interview process, that they were dying to get someone in there. So when they get, when he gave them my name, they called me. I had lunch with the VP of advertising at Universal that afternoon they sent me over to hr i met with the hr person and i i had an offer the next day wow you know, and this was you know now you have to take like blood tests and you know interview <laughs> with you know a thousand people back then it was boom 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 and i i started like a week later i gave notice and you know i started a week or a week or two after that but it was assistant advertising manager it was a new position it was building the department and it was great. I, I literally started taking on role after role after role and responsibility after responsibility to just start building it up. And I went from um, assistant advertising manager and ultimately ended up as vice president of advertising. So I had like, 
advertising manager, director, senior director, director head of, and then the vice president left and I was promoted into the vice president of advertising. And that was about 10, nine years and loved it. Learned all about, you know, the client side. And, and the great thing about the client side is that it's, it's soup to nuts, full visibility to the brand. Whereas one of the negatives on the agency side is you kind of, you're brought in for the slice of the marketing and the advertising, but you don't learn a lot about the rest of the organization. So you feel a little bit like a vendor, you know, that was the one thing I, I felt a little <laughs> bit like a, like a, an outsider and not really part of the team. And that's one thing that I learned is that I wanted to make sure for me, when I hired agencies and, and vendors and, and, suppliers and I wanted them to feel as part of the team as as employees. I because they're as critical. You know, yeah. ad agencies and, and partners are as critical as, as your your own team members. And and if, if they feel that they're part of the team, they're gonna work a lot harder than if they're just pay for play. So that's one thing that I learned by going through that process. And I've always done that with with all of the partners that I've I've worked with and I've had amazing partners. And the good thing is that being in Southern California, my entire career, I've been able to work with a lot of partners and, you know, you trust them and you can start talking shorthand with what you need. And, you know, the, the product changes, you know, I went from universal to LA Philharmonic and, you know, the product changes, but you can, you know, if you work with good people, you can quickly um, educate them on the new, the new product and the new brand and, and get, get similar great work out of them. So I've had great relationships um, that I've worked with partners over the years. So happy to, happy to do that. And David, talk to me a little bit about really moving from sort of that expert role in advertising and marketing, right? Really being that internal consultant, uh, driving that to really moving up into that executive role and that CMO role. What really had to change for you in order to be successful leading a marketing team versus just being a great marketer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The second time that I was at Universal, and that was the last 12 years up until January of 2021, I evolved from doing to leading. Mm. And it's definitely, um, there's a change, you know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I got into <laughs> I got into marketing and advertising because I love, I love to do it. I love to create and work with creatives to, to develop compelling messages. And that that's always been my favorite part of my career. And as I started being promoted up into, um, you know, senior vice president of brand marketing for universal, I, I had to one, make sure that I had really good people that could do the work because I wasn't able to do the work any longer. I needed to lead people to do the work. And that evolution is, is interesting. And I've also trained and worked with people on my team to do the same thing, you know, where I need you to, I had a, you know, a great, great head of broadcast production and it was a one man show and he was great at what he did, but you know, we needed to expand our bandwidth and start, you know, bringing in more people and, and, you know, he would do the work, but it was hard for him to, you know, train others to do the work and have him oversee it. And it was a, you know, it was an evolution and it, it, it helped because I had gone through it as well. And, 
you know, now being uh, taking on the role of, of CMO here at San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, you know, I still from time to time kind of fall back into just thinking, well, you know, why am I not, why am I not in that meeting? <laughs> <laughs> You're having a little FOMO about yes, meetings? Yeah, I was like, well, well, they're having this meeting about, you know, creative or they're having this meeting, meeting about media planning and, you know, why would they not invite me to that meeting? And then I realized, oh, right, okay, they're going to put it all together and then they're going to come and present it to me. And so I need to give them that time to be able to kind of do the prep work and come in. I don't need to be in every single meeting. So it's it's definitely something that you realize that it's it's really about the ability to expand your bandwidth. You can't do everything, you know, even though I love it, you know, and you know, I, I wish I could spend more time on on creative development, but you you need to make sure that you have you have the best people doing the work and you're leading them. And you're you're guiding them to be able to do the best work, but you got to let them let them do it. You know, yeah. And that's when you love doing it. It's sometimes difficult, but but that's really the evolution of going from doing to to leading. Yeah. So, David, you have been a great steward of just iconic brands, right? That are based here in in Southern California. Let's talk a little bit about your brand as a leader and executive. Give me um three words that describe David Miller's brand. I would say change agent. Mm. I would say consumer advocate. Ooh. And consistency. And I don't know if those those terms fit together, but those are kind of the, the, the areas that I feel I've evolved into and and they've been successful for me in my career. And I've 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 uh, worked with my teams to to understand that and to support that and to buy into that. So the first one is being a change agent, you know, I've never seen so much change in marketing in the last 10 years. And when I was at Universal from 09 to 2021, I think we've, we went through more change in that period than ever, ever in the marketing industry. If you think about how consumers uh, kept the messages and, you know, going from, from broadcast to streaming to digital to, you know, <laughs> um, social and, and, you know, all of that changed uh, pretty much from, if you think about the, the biggest shifts that all happened during that 2009, 20, 2009 to 2021 window. So I needed to evolve how we did things to, to keep up with the consumer. And looking back, I pretty much changed every single external resource that we worked with and how we worked with them, but also changed almost every single internal position to adapt and to do things differently. You know, in 20, 2009, you know, we would do maybe two or three TV spots a year, <laughs> you know, and we'd, we'd spend four months developing them and getting, you know, having them presented all the way up to the chairman and, you know, we'd have all this time to put it together. It went from that to needing, you know, four or five or six messages a week. Yeah. And how do we, how do we align the resources to be able to create that much content? And how do we 
evolve and make sure that the team members who are the only people approving the messages. So if you go from a spot that is, you know, a TV spot that you produce over four months and you show it storyboard first to the chairman and then the rough cut to the chairman and then the finished spot to the chairman, whereas you have a social message that is created in a day and the head of social needs to approve it without anyone else seeing it. Yeah. And that may be seen by more people than that TV spot was seen by. So how <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, how do you, how do you two things? How do you make sure that you have good people making sure that nothing is seen by the consumer that isn't supported by the organization? But also, how do you make sure that you're, you're, you have the brand consistency and you're building the brand in, in the way that you want? with so many different messages that are being created by so many different people and having it not go through all of the normal approval processes. So that's, that's needing to be a change agent and, and figuring out how do you evolve everything that you do and all of the resources that you have to make sure that you are communicating with your consumer as effectively as possible and maintaining your brand as consistently as possible. So that's kind of the, the change agent side of it. Um, the, um, the other one was the consistency, which is really making sure that every message is aligned and is, is consistent. You know, I found that you know, people always want to kind of put their fingerprints on it and well, you know, it's, I don't want to do the same thing. You'll have graphic designers that, well, I want to change it a little bit. I have an opportunity. Yeah. I'm going to change it. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, you can't do that. You know, we need to build a foundation of messaging because consumers are hit with, they're bombarded with so many different messages now that if you don't have a consistent message out there, and sometimes it is boring to the people creating it. They feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over, but it's not boring to the consumer. It's building and it's strengthening your brand with the consumer. So that's that's really the consistency. And and David, talk to me about how do, how how are you a change agent and consistent at the same time? As a leader, how do you not give different messages where where it, sometimes you're being like, we got to be on board and change, and the platforms are changing, the consumers changing, and then still preach being consistent. Well, you're changing your your outlets. You're changing how you're communicating, but the message itself stays consistent. Yeah. But it's it's creating content quickly and efficiently. You know, budgets typically don't go up, you know, and so how do you keep a gold standard brand message while having to create, you know, 10 times more messages? How do you do that? So it's figuring out resources that are, you know, where you're able to do that efficiently. But all along, you always need to be consistent. You always need to to use similar, you know, when I came back to Universal, one of the reasons why I was brought back is that um, each area was, a lot of the, the communication was, was in different areas. And so, you know, if we opened Transformers or, or something prior to my, my return, um, each area would talk, it, talk about it differently. So, you know, the, and so the consumer is, is not getting that, that foundation of, of message uh, and how it's being talked about. So that was part of my, my responsibility was to bring in all communication across every single channel, but be it promotions, you know, direct advertising, social, 
but then, you know, in park, you know, as you, you know, are, how do we talk about something in park and working with universal creative who they're building the attractions and they're, you know, developing all the wayfinding in the parks and making sure that every time that we talk about something, it's always consistent. So it builds the strength, the strength of your brand. Yeah. And talk about, I love that you say you're a consumer advocate. You know, what, what does that look like? Because sometimes that seems like not what marketers are expected to be as advocates for, for the consumer or in many of your cases as, as guests, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of times marketers forget about the consumer. You know, they, they know them, they know, they have the metrics around them, they have the research around them and, but they forget to put themselves in the consumer's mind and flip it and start looking at the work and look at looking at the strategies and thinking, well, how would I take this in as a consumer? And people have said that over and over to me about how I look at things. They always say, you, you always look at, you know, how's the consumer going to take this message? How's the consumer going to, to take this in? And, and I do, I've done that my entire career. And I think that's something that is forgotten. You know, people get kind of caught up in, you know, sometimes what's clever or what's creative, what's funny, or, you know, this, wouldn't this be fun to do? And, you know, I see, I see campaigns and I think, oh, okay. They didn't, they didn't take the consumer into account. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's one, that's an area that I've always, always in every meeting, I think if we're, because we're always talking about the consumer, we're always talking about a message to the consumer, a strategy, you know, a media plan, you know, everything is, is based on the consumer, the target audience. But most of the time people aren't thinking, well, how would they react to this? How would they respond? You know, and it's in, you know, I have all of when we're developing work, it's all about, you know, what, what do we want the consumer to do once they see this message? And that's important too. You know, do you know what you want them to do? And then sometimes, you know, people will say, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. What do we want them to do (laughs) when they see this message? (laughs) Well, that's key, right? Otherwise, why are you doing it? You know, it's, it's, it's key. So that's, that's the other area, I guess, you know, of, of my brand of how I've always been and how I'll always be. Yeah. And David, tell me about a time when you received some tough feedback that you caused you to pause and maybe evaluate how you were showing up in certain situations. A few times, not as much lately, but a few times I was in my reviews, uh, leaders would say, you're too calm. (laughs) (laughs) And what they meant by that, they felt like I wasn't they didn't know if I was taking something as seriously. Oh, so if there yeah. was something, if there was something urgent, so if if we had a free fall or if we had something happen, every now and then in marketing you'll have something happen and there's a, an urgency, right? And so I I would be called in and okay, you know we've got this problem and we're gonna have to you know fix it. We're gonna have to do this. We're gonna do that. And I, okay, all right, absolutely. And for me, my strategy was getting spun up and acting like, you know, everything's, you know, crazy doesn't help. If I can kind of maintain control and organization and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to freak my team out by yeah, acting And that's like, some of that consistency, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I tend to be more, you know, there's no benefit to being like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? You know, there's no 
benefit to that, but it does make your boss feel like you're on it. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you, you understand because you're as spun up as I am. So you understand. So it does give you that. But for me, it's, it doesn't help to, to show your team that you're kind of spun up. I'd rather say, look, we have to do this. This is a problem. This is an emergency. Let's, let's figure out how to get through this quickly. But I tend to be more methodical and more balanced. And, and I think that's, that's good leadership, but yeah. I have, I have been told that I need to be more, um, <laughs> show a sense of urgency. <laughs> so David, how, how, how did you manage through that? How did you stay true to who you are in terms of being even keeled and consistent as a leader, but then let your boss know that you were on it and that there was that sense of urgency without getting wound up. I just talked faster <laughs> <laughs> and that seemed to work. It, it, it did. It did seem to work as I didn't, I didn't spin, spin up. I, I didn't, I didn't want to do something that I didn't truly believe in, but I did, I did realize that if I talk faster, then people felt like, okay, all right, he's, he's, he sees the importance of this conversation. And, and I never, I never had that issue again. <laughs> yeah, love that. Yeah, um, so yeah. as as a marketer, what are some things that you do as a marketer for the great brands that you've been a steward of that you think people, regular non-marketer people could use on their own professional brands in their career? Um, oh, let's see. Um, I'm going to give an example of something that I worked on at the LA Phil specifically the Hollywood Bowl. And this is just, I don't know if it, this is an example of, of um, how an organization felt that they were kind of pigeonholed and, and needed to work a certain way and needed to do things a certain way. And, and, and my ability to come in and, and kind of see things differently and have fresh eyes. I always say that, you know, fresh eyes. Um, one reason why I was hired at the LA Philharmonic is because I didn't have classical music experience. And same with uh, San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I didn't have experience with animals and species and habitats and, you know, and, and for me, it, I know the consumer and I, I think it's important to, to start with speaking to the consumer in their language and, I saw that at the LA Phil where some of the language was, was to its own audience, to classical music goers. And, and you can talk in a language that the layman consumer doesn't have no idea. Right. Yeah. And, and it also builds up barriers, you know, with how to dress, going to a classical concert. Do you dress up? Do you not? When do you stand? When do you, you know, or when do you, when do you clap? When do you not clap? You know, all of those all of those things are actually barriers of entry for for consumers that aren't familiar with with classical music. And I could say the same for San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. You know, you need to talk in a way that's inviting. You need to talk in a way that doesn't feel like you're not in the know. Because if you don't feel like you're in the know, you may you may choose not to go because you you don't feel comfortable. So. Um, but when I went to the LA Phil, not having classical music experience, I looked at okay, you know, what's how's the consumer per perceiving this? And at the at the Hollywood Bowl, I realized that you know they had they have like seventy five concerts a year mm -hmm. in the summer, something like that. And I realized that they had targets for each concert, so they'd have you know they have seventeen thousand seats at the bowl and. 
and certain concerts, classical concerts on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they'd have like, you know, five or 6,000, 7,000 goal, um, larger on the weekends and things, but they would have specific goals for each. And we would, they would market and, and budget to support each of those concerts. And once they hit that goal, they would stop advertising that concert and, and put the money towards other concerts that weren't, that, that weren't close to their goal, right? Yeah. So what I saw happening is that they were, if a, if a concert did well, like hit the goal right away, they would stop advertising it. Well, that was a popular concert, right? So they would stop talking about a popular concert and they would put the money towards concerts that weren't as popular, that weren't as accessible, some new music and things, you know, Philip Glass and things where it's really more difficult. They would start putting money. So over time, the consumer would would only hear about the more difficult concerts <laughs> and, and wouldn't hear anything about the positive concerts. And I, and I said, well... You know, your goal was 10,000, but you still have, you have 17,000 total. You still have 7,000 more seats. Why not promote Gershwin or, you know, these, these popular Beethoven's Ninth or, you know, Carmina Burana or whatever, you know, promote those over deliver on, on your goal on those concerts, because then the consumer's hearing these accessible, positive, popular, and it actually will elevate the season at the bowl instead of the consumer only hearing about these very difficult concerts that are hard to sell. And so I flipped it and ultimately we started breaking records and we, we overachieved our season goal every year that I was there to the point where, and it's also all boats rise because part of the problem too is once you go to the bowl, you break down like, you know, where to park and how to get in and all of that stuff. Once you start breaking down those barriers, then people come back and they, the yeah. frequency, you know, then, it, and we also started talking about what's the common denominator between the concerts. Cause you know, if, once you sell a concert, that investment is gone. But if you talk about, you know, the evergreen experience of the bowl and picnicking and under the stars and what it's like across all concerts, then that investment is beneficial to the whole season instead of it being beneficial to just one concert. So then it actually created this perception of, I want to go there and you make the decision to go there before you even know what the concert is yeah. instead of it being about, I want to go there for that concert. So it, yeah. it, it it's kind about of the whole experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that also helped to just, you know, increase attendance and revenue. And, and it was a way that, you know, most people kind of had gotten into their, rut, I guess, of, well, it's how we, it's how we do it. You know, it's how we did it last year. And, you know, it's, you got to kind of always be thinking about the consumer, like I say, and, and what's, what's best for the consumer and how are they going to perceive the messages that you put out there and what's a, what's a better message to put out there. And so it, it's just, it all works together. And it, it was an example of, you know, just understanding, focusing again on the, on the, on the consumer. Yeah. And how could, how could someone take that sort of methodology and apply it to driving their own brand in their career? Know your audience, you know, your, your audience is also your, your supervisor, you know, and, and, you know, I was always taught that your 
boss's priorities should be your priorities because if you mm-hmm. can achieve your boss's priorities, they're going to, they're going to be happy with you. Right. Yeah. But there's also, what I also learned is that you should find ways to be valuable to your organization. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I knew that, you know, I was creative and creativity is, is valuable. You know, you can't just decide to be creative. You can't say, I'm going to, I'm going to read a book or I'm going to take a class and I'm going to be creative. And, and, you know, if you have creativity, it's very valuable to the organization. And the other part is building relationships that are valuable to the organization. You know, I focused Mm. on partnerships and relationships with key media. If you can come to your organization with very strong, powerful relationships that are important to the organization. That also that also builds your brand and and builds the value that you bring to the organization. Absolutely. So a couple of really quick final questions for you, David. We've been talking all about about brands that you've led and helped build. What brand are you obsessed with as a consumer? I am obsessed with. That's a really good question. I'm a little obsessed with Airbnb. Oh, yeah. Tell me. I think that they're in a space where they can do extremely creative messages that build on the foundation of how how you as a consumer are perceived by using that brand. And so it's less about the technology of, of the product and more about the lifestyle of the product. So I'm always impressed with, with brands that can do that and live by that. And Airbnb, I, I love watching, you know, communication from Airbnb because I think they just, you know, they look at all of the different angles of, you know, how are you perceived as a consumer by by using Airbnb instead of a hotel? Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> you know? David, tell me, if David Miller was a car, what type of car would you be mm. and why? Oh, that's a good question. I think I'd have to be a... 1957 Mercedes 280 SL convertible. And why? Oh, it's just always been my favorite car and, and being a convertible and it's, it's the, it's the quintessential drive up the coast and go to Starbucks, you know, in, in your, you know, vintage convertible (laughs) 280 SL. And finally, David, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? You should never stop your thirst for learning. You know, sometimes people, you know, they go to college and they graduate and they go to grad school and they graduate and they, and they're like, I'm done. You know, I, I think if you, in any situation, whatever it is, if you can find a way to learn you are going to be a much more valuable team member uh, moving forward. Um, It's just, you know, people don't think about it. You know, they, they have their head down and they, they do their job. And, you know, I, I've, I've taken, you know, where I can, I've taken classes. I've, you know, I've sat on, you know, podcasts and, and uh, web webinars and, you know, wherever I can, just if I can take advantage of something where I'm actually expanding my understanding of the market, the consumer, the product that I'm 
that I'm working on or the organization that I'm that I'm supporting, if I can learn a different technique or a different angle, it's only going to help me in the future. So if you're in that mindset of always with you know with every meeting, okay, what can I learn from this? Who's in this meeting that I I could learn a different angle, a different perspective? Then I come out of that meeting instead of just bored or, you know, like, oh, okay, I have to sit through this hour long meeting about blah, blah, blah. Well, if I could figure out a way to learn from it, I'm going to benefit from it. It's going to be interesting. And it, you know, that to me is something that I would, I would suggest uh, people think differently in that way because you'll, you'll be a better employee and you'll, you'll enjoy your, your career that much more. Yes. Well, David Miller, thank you so much for helping us learn more about branding and how we can drive our own career brands. It's been amazing talking to you. And tell us if we want to learn more about the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, where should we go? Well, thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Yes. Um, SDZWA.org. So it's San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. SDZWA.org. There's a, um, a very comprehensive website there that'll that'll be a jumping off point to the San Diego Zoo or the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. But on that um, Alliance site, you'll see all of the different activities that we're doing uh, around the world. We just started a podcast, so we have about 10 episodes up and we'll, we'll have about 52 in the next year. And those are uh, long stories about what we're doing in, in different areas. So we have a little bit longer, you know, on podcasts, we can tell longer stories and we interview partners that we're working with. And that's on iHeartMedia or Apple. You can download it's San Diego Zoo, uh, our podcast. Awesome. Well, yeah. David Miller, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And we'll be back in just a moment with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an amazing conversation with David Miller, the Chief Marketing Officer of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. You know what? There were so many great branding tips in there. That's why I love having marketing folks on the show because they can really translate how we can use brand marketer tools to drive our own career brands. You know what really stuck out for me from David was his whole notion of knowing who your consumer is. In fact, I love that one of his brand attributes was was being a consumer advocate. Well, you know what? This is so key in your career because your brand can't just be all about you. No, no, no. Your brand has got to be about your career audience. They are your consumers. And that is all of the folks that can promote you. That is your manager. That is your team members. That is your direct reports. And one thing that I loved that David put a 
spin on. It's also all of those external folks out in the industry that know who you are and that you can add value to them and they can help add value to the work that you do. While you want to be authentic to yourself, you want to make sure that every single day you are being an advocate for your career audience and you are super serving and building those raving fans. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure you follow us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and we'll give you a brand new show every single Tuesday. Now, check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I share tons of tips on how to lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough on LinkedIn. Now, remember, in your career, Stop being a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure that you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.